0: My name is Joseph Foltz. I am a senior at James River High School. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? The answer I find was a lot more personal than I was expecting. The last week in particular has brought me a whole lot closer to finding the answer than anyone would hope to be. For a while, along with Many people in the world, especially during these unprecedented times, which I know is a phrase that we are all far too familiar with, I struggled with my mental health. It's been a constant uphill battle. And it was one that I felt for a long time went unnoticed. And it wasn't until the whole quarantine thing that I took the time to really evaluate my mental health, my mental state. It was not an easy task at first. It took a lot of work, a lot of support from my friends and family. Uh, And it's never an easy thing to deal with, and it certainly is never an easy thing to open up about. Being poor in spirit is difficult. It truly is. It's a lot of long days, cold nights, a lot of empty feelings and abject loneliness. It seems like an odd thing to feel blessed about. But in truth, the Gospel of Matthew hits the nail on the head. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In truth, I don't think that applies to me, at least not in a literal sense, as I stand here before you very much not in heaven. But I don't think that means I'm not blessed, nor does it imply that I do not belong to the kingdom of heaven. No, while I am poor in spirit, I am also blessed, I am blessed to have my friends. I am blessed to have my family. I am blessed to have a home, clean water, clean food, hobbies, education, and faith. I am blessed to know that I belong to God and he claims me as his own. I am blessed to know that I have a place in this world and mine is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted for righteousness. This is another one of the Beatitudes that caught my eye, and upon reading it, on a superficial level, it seems that Jesus was talking about the Romans, but they haven't really been around for a while, so I, when I went to reflect on this passage, I had to dig a little deeper. I thought about what it means to be righteousness, or be righteous. Righteousness can be defined as morally justifiable or virtuous, but those are just words, and they're super subjective, so yet again, We've got to look deeper. Being righteous, at least in my eyes, is to be who you are called to be. Accepting the way you were created and accepting that you would be loved unconditionally by God no matter who you are, because God made you that way. Accepting who you are as God intended you to be is to me a virtue, a state of enlightenment, acceptance, comfort, and purpose. It is also a promise. A promise made to you that you are loved and the kingdom of heaven is yours. It is also a promise made to God that you will be who you were created to be. You will have moments where you are poor in spirit, moments where you are persecuted for righteousness, moments where you are meek, moments where you mourn, moments where you are merciful, moments where you are a peacemaker, moments where you are pure in heart, moments where you are hungry and thirsty. This promise goes both ways. You promise to be who you were created to be. And in turn, God promises you that you will inherit the earth, that you will be comforted, you will be filled, you will be shown mercy. God promises that you will receive the kingdom of heaven. This is a comfort. This is God's way of telling you that no matter how dark or cold or alone you might feel, you have a purpose, you have a calling, and you have a promise. You are never alone, and you are called by God
1: to know this. I think apathy is one of the worst qualities one can possess. Apathy is definitionally a lack of interest or care in a certain issue or event. The apathetics will stand by and observe as issues play out, and people suffer. It is one of the greatest moral weaknesses. Yet, it is also an insurmountable strength. By being apathetic, one can defend themselves from the hardship that is caring about the world around them. Apathy comes in many forms, but it is absolutely insidious in hindering us as a society from progress. Conversely, righteousness is one of the highest attributes to be bestowed upon someone. But what is righteousness? This is the question I ask myself reading the Beatitudes. Righteousness is defined simply as morally pure and just, but I find that meaningless entirely. What constitutes moral purity? Does being righteous mean must one always be fair? Can morality even be fair? My mind spiraled as I began to wonder why such a simple concept was so impossible to fully grasp. I fully believe morality is subjective. No two people are going to believe the exact same things are right and wrong. Sure, we can all collectively agree that murder is wrong. It did make sixth place on the list of commandments. However, all media we are exposed to points us in the opposite direction, every movie TV show, book, song, literally every piece of media you will encounter will posit that murdering the evil is righteous. Our cultural zeitgeist is centered around moral rules that we may not necessarily agree with, yet so rarely do you see anyone asking the complex questions hoping for any form of progress. So how are we supposed to solve this moral quandary? Now I know I'm losing some of you. That's the problem. These issues are scary to think about, It's scary to question one's moral compass. It's scary to care about what's right and wrong. It's scary to care about politics, and war, and disease, and women's issues, and LGBTQ rights, and famine, and poverty, and all of the numerous problems that plague our world. But no matter what we do, we cannot fall into apathy. If we grow apathetic, these problems will never be solved. If we are unable to care about fixing the issues of the world, we are no better than the monsters causing them. Apathy is the enemy of righteousness. Should we wipe our hands of the world's problems, turn off the news, close our minds from the frightening things of the world? We can never be righteous. We find guidance for this in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." I believe that righteousness is not being moral or just. I believe righteousness is being able to care about what could be moral or just. Too often we see people resigning themselves from moral and political issues because they see it as taking the high road. These people turn their backs and believe the solution to the problem they see in front of them is too messy or too risky or too scary. So apathy is an easy way out, a safety mechanism, the high road we see so many people take but I could not disagree more. There is no lower road than apathy. I don't mean to fear monger or, po- or moral police. I just abstract a clear conclusion from the teachings of Jesus. You must go out of your way to help those in need and make the world a better place. Here's a small anecdote, elaborating on that idea. During the most recent gubernatorial election, I volunteered to canvas for Terry McAuliffe and my local dele- one of my local delegates, Rodney Willett. Me and two of my friends, Thomas and Dennis, drove around this small suburb right near Libby Avenue. We drove and walked through the rain for a little over six hours, knocked on dozens of houses. However, we encountered a seriously demotivating issue. Only about one-third of people answered the door, and even a smaller minority of that group supported Terry McAuliffe. Oftentimes, residents would be home, see we were carrying political paraphernalia, and simply lock their doors. Many of these people locked their doors, looking directly at me. This is a pure representation of apathy. It is the opposite of righteousness. Now, I could go on a long tangent about how that gubernatorial election single-handedly set Virginia back five to 10 years. However, I think the more important issue is that a large portion of the doors we knocked on, people were too lazy, too afraid, too fearful, too apathetic to start a discussion. So I ask you, no matter where you stand on major issues, it is imperative that you don't grow apathetic to those issues, because then we will never progress. So I ask you to go out into the world and ask the hard questions, have those tough discussions, embody the righteousness I think Jesus called for us to reach and truly care about those around you.
2: Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, let it shine. That song brings back many memories. One of the most memorable times singing this song was at Massanetta Springs. It was a sunny Thursday morning. I was awakened by the bright sun and the sounds of birds chirping. Every morning after breakfast, we would have our daily devotions. I remember sitting next to a friend I made at the morning devotions. She was my roommate. We met that Thursday, yet it felt like we've known each other for years. We rock back and forth while letting our light shine during our morning devotions, enjoying the sounds of the guitarist strokes, hearing the different voices sing together in harmony, and just enjoying each other's companies. As Christians, we are encouraged to let our light shine in our communities, but what exactly does it mean to let our light shine? How can we let our light shine? I often ponder upon this topic, especially since I will be going off to a university next semester. I ask myself, What was I called to do? What do I want to major in? What are my plans after college? How can I let my light shine throughout this process? I know I'm not alone. We are all trying to figure out how to let our light shine. For example, my light may shine differently in college than it does here in Richmond. In that same way, people may shine their light differently when they move to a new city, get a new job, or are just trying to navigate through a new space. Our light shines during different seasons of our lives. I'm able to choose where I want my light to shine. The world is very dark and it is very easy to become lost in the darkness. As a high school student, I see darkness in the pressure on young girls to conform to a certain body image. Social media is also a strong influence. It leads many people to believe they have to do certain things or take part in certain activities to be considered cool or feel accepted. Even if it means going against their morals, these pressures are not only faced by high schoolers. Many people believe they have to conform to a certain identity to be accepted, rather than letting their light shine and live a life authentic to who they are. We live in a world where there is constant gun violence. We live in a world where people have to face discrimination, are treated unequal, they are judged based on the outside rather than the inside. We live in a world full of darkness. In Matthew 514 to 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The disciples performed good deeds and spread the word of God, allowing their light to shine. But they also made mistakes along the way. As Christians, we are called to do the same. Living with Jesus as our role model helps us shine our light to the fullest, and there is grace for us along the way if we make mistakes. The hope is that God shines our light for us to focus on love. No matter where my next community of home may be or what college I may choose to attend, I will still be able to be authentic to who I am and let my light shine there.